Last week I met a friendly old man with an incredible knowledge of U.S. presidents. And uh, this uh, dear man really gave me a mental workout, asking me questions, many of which I did not know the answer to. But one question I did know the answer to. He said to me, do you know what George Washington died from? And I, I know that one. Uh, George Washington was bled to death by his own physicians. It was a practice known as bleeding. Uh, the great founder of our country, the father of our country, became sick, and medical knowledge believed that what needed to happen was he needed to get rid of his bad blood. And so his doctors actually hastened his death by robbing him of his blood supply. Um, I'm glad my doctor has never recommended bleeding. <laughs> Our medical knowledge is so much better today. I mean, we have uh, so much more knowledge about what it takes for us to be physically healthy. Today, as we come to our message in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus takes up the question about health. Not physical health, but spiritual health. If we could put into a question what Jesus is addressing at the end of Mark chapter 9, it would be this question. Are you living a healthy life? Spiritually healthy is what Jesus is talking about. Now what does it mean for us to be a healthy Christian? That's a very important question. Now what we've been seeing as Jesus has been teaching his disciples on his final journey to Jerusalem is that they are anything but healthy. They are anything but healthy. And so Jesus begins to address some key issues in his life. And as we follow him in the shadow of the cross, he takes up the marks of a healthy Christian. Now, as you know, Jesus is a brilliant teacher. He's certainly more than a teacher. He's the great I am. But he is a brilliant teacher, and he uses a, a number of images as he begins to talk with us about spiritual health. These were common, everyday, ordinary images. Surgery, fire, and salt. And with each one, there is a principle about what it means to be a healthy disciple and follower of Christ. This morning we will look at the first one, and then in a subsequent message we will look at the next two. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, and let's begin at verse 43, and read to verse 48. We will pick up verse 42 when we look at verses 49 and 50 in a subsequent message. But notice what Jesus says in verse 43. 
And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Let's bow in prayer for just a moment. Lord God, the purpose for which you saved us is that we might be representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. You call us to a mature life of following you. It is your desire that we would be healthy and whole as Christ followers. And so today, as much as the disciples needed to learn, so we need to as well. Take your words and plant them deep in our hearts, just as we have sung. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now here's the principle in what Jesus is teaching us in this image of surgery. Healthy believers perform spiritual surgery on themselves regularly. Notice, it is on ourselves. It is to be a regular, ongoing thing. It is spiritual surgery, and it will help us to be healthy. Now, Jesus here is obviously speaking figuratively. Uh, The language that he uses about cutting off your hand or your foot or tearing out your eye is what is known as hyperbole. It is exaggerated language to make a very important point. It is also a metaphor where you take an image and you use that image to represent something else. Physical surgery here is used to represent spiritual surgery. Do you know, over the years, sadly, there are people who have taken these verses literally? It's very sad when people misunderstand and misrepresent the Bible. There was a Scottish pastor by the name of A.J. Gossip. He knew a brilliant theology student who did this very thing. Uh, One evening, meditating on these verses, the student went crazy and he cut off his hand. And clearly, he did not understand the entire Bible, because the Bible is very, very clear that mutilation or masochism are pagan practices. So Jesus is not speaking literally here. He's calling not for physical surgery, but he's calling for spiritual surgery. And what he's saying to us, did you notice three times the word sin appears? He's saying healthy Christians deal with sin. What he's teaching us is sin is to the soul what disease is to the body. If I knew I had a cancerous tumor, I want my doctor to cut it out. 
And I would go to the surgeon and I would say, Doc, you know, get me on the table, get the knife out. And remove that tumor before it begins to spread. And so what Jesus is talking about is taking quick action to confront and to stop sinful impulses. He is telling us, do all in our power, lest we deal or lest we allow sin in any way to get a foothold in our life. So he's saying, do everything in our power to deal with it. Now, Jesus is such an effective teacher that he drills down very deeply into this. And we might say, okay, I need to understand what is involved in this so that I can get a clear picture of what the Savior is calling us to do. And so let's drill down into what it means to deal with our sin in our own lives through spiritual surgery that we might be healthy. Notice the first. Surgery is serious business, isn't it? Surgery is very serious. Some sicknesses, if you don't deal with them, they will kill you. I have two health conditions, hypertriglycerides, hypertension. I will have my annual physical next month because I want to stay on top of those things because they can lead to heart disease. And so I need to be sure that I'm dealing with them. Now what Jesus is saying in these verses is sin is worse because it can kill us forever. Uh, Look at the end of verse 43. Uh, If you'd like to use the Pew Bible there in front of you, it's page 1005, and notice what Jesus says. He says, it's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two hands and go into hell to the unquenchable fire. Uh, The word hell that Jesus uses here three times in this passage comes from the Greek word Gehenna. It literally referred to the Valley of Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom, which was a steep ravine on the south side of the city of Jerusalem. Do you know what used to occur there in the later days of the Old Testament? Under kings Ahaz and Manasseh, child sacrifice occurred there. Can you believe the very people of God sacrificing their precious children to the god Molech? That's what happened in the valley of Hinnom. And then when the godly king Josiah rose to the throne, he abolished that practice. And you know what he did? He turned the valley of Hinnom into the garbage dump. What an appropriate place to do for a place that had practiced child sacrifice. And because it was a garbage dump, it was containing open and rotting garbage, and therefore... It became worm-infested. And so to exterminate the worms and to destroy the garbage, fires were kept burning constantly. That's the imagery of verse 48, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You know what Gehenna was? 
It was a putrid, rotting, stinking garbage dump infested with worms that was always burning. And in the Jewish mind, it became the perfect symbol of the ultimate place of punishment, hell. You know what we could say hell is? Hell is God's garbage dump where he throws what is infested with sin. By the way, the word Gehenna is one of the words used of hell. Hades is another word. Gehenna occurs 12 times in the entire New Testament. Of the 12 times, Jesus uses it 11 Jesus spoke about Gehenna, hell, more than anyone else in the New Testament. And so what we can say is this, on the authority of Jesus, hell is real. Hell is real. God hates sin. He loves the sinner, amen, this morning. But he hates sin. And one day, he is going to banish the stinking, rotten, putrid garbage of sin to hell forever. And Jesus here is saying, we have a choice. We can cling to sin and be thrown in the garbage dump of hell forever. One of my professors defined hell this way. The essence of hell is unending torment and eternal exclusion from the presence of God. And we can choose that by clinging to sin. Or we can turn to the Lord Jesus, accept His salvation, start doing spiritual surgery on the sin in our lives, and have eternal life in heaven forever. By the way, did you notice how stark the contrast is? Did you notice the contrast, how stark it is? Sin leads to hell. Jesus leads to heaven. There are no other options. There is one way or the other. Sin is hell. Jesus is heaven. And so what he's telling us is this whole issue of spiritual surgery, it is very, very Serious. Very serious. If the people of Marquette County knew how serious this was, our church would be full today. They do not know how serious it is. But Jesus knows because he created hell. Remember what the Bible says? Hell was created for the devil and his angels. So Jesus knows how serious it is. Second, surgery is decisive, isn't it? Surgery is decisive. When surgeons operate, they don't use halfway measures, do they? Can you imagine going into the surgery and the surgeon saying, well, I'll tell you what, today I'm going to take part of the tumor, and next year we'll get the rest. I think most of us would go and find another surgeon, wouldn't we? Yes, we would. 
the surgeon, unless taking it all will uh, somehow take the life of the person, always goes for the whole thing. And they also go for the lymph nodes. And then once you're done with the surgery, they will give you chemotherapy or radiation treatment. When my mother had uh, uh, uterine cancer and they, and they got the entire tumor, she not only went through radiation therapy, but they put a radium implant in her. They wanted to kill all of the potential cancer cells. You see, there is a radical confrontation with the disease. Now that's what Jesus is saying. He is saying we must have a radical confrontation with sin. Uh, Did you notice verse 43, verse 45, verse 47, Jesus mentions your hand, your foot, and your eye. You know what those all are? They are the instruments of the inward inclinations of sin. Uh, This is what the Greeks would teach. The Greeks would say, your body is lower than your spirit and your mind and your soul, and therefore the body cannot affect the soul. So the Greeks would essentially say, do whatever you want with your body. It won't really affect you. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the body is the instrument of the soul. That's what he's saying. The body is often the manifestation of spiritual reality. So what Jesus is teaching us is how sin works and the efforts that we as a Christian must take to combat it. Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And so let me put up here a little diagram as to how sin works. Every Christian should understand this if we're going to do daily battle with sin. Jesus is teaching us that sin begins with sinful desires. That's the source of sin. In other words, sin is an inside job. It comes from uh, our heart. And then sinful temptations entice the lustful desires that are in us. The reason that temptation works so successfully is because our desires are are so strong. And then if we give in to those sinful temptations, it results in sinful actions. Now notice the, the hand, the foot, and the eye. That is a reference to our entire person. It encompasses all of us. It is the whole of us where we what we do where we go, what we view, what we desire. Do you see what's going on here? Indwelling sin wants to use our bodies as its instrument. 
By the way, this is so powerful and so strong, not a single one of us has a chance on our own with this. This is the very thing that is taught in Romans 6, 12 and 13. Uh, Let's read that together for just a moment. It's the exact same thing. The word instruments here and members refer to things like the hand, the foot, and the eyes. Our bodily members. So let's read these verses together. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Do you see what Jesus is teaching here affirmed by the Apostle Paul? We don't sin when we perform decisive surgery on ourselves And we refuse to use our hands, our feet, and our eyes to fulfill the lusts that linger in our hearts as saved and yet fallen people. By the way, did you notice this? This is not try harder, do it yourself. It's not what this is. As believers, the Bible says very clearly, we are alive from the dead. God has given us a new nature. And we have the Holy Spirit who is dwelling within us. And here's what happens. The more you grow in the Christian life, the stronger God's power becomes within us as it works within us. So the more we can find ourselves doing spiritual surgery successfully. But notice this. Notice this. We have a role to play. When Jesus says, cut off. Cut off. Tear out. Tear out. What he's saying is, deal decisively with sin... And the God who has made you alive from the dead, that God will help you. You see, if we dilly-dally, hesitate, or use halfway measures, sin will destroy us like a cancer. Let me say that again. If we dilly-dally, Hesitate or use halfway measures, sin will destroy us like a cancer. I read about a married man who became involved with another woman. He was in counseling. 
and it looked like his marriage was going to survive. And all God's people said, Praise the Lord. You know how the affair got started? He was regularly having lunch with the other woman. And when I read that, I thought, what a big mistake that is. How unwise it is for a married person to cultivate private time with the opposite sex. If you're single, that's perfectly okay because you're a single person. But once we marry, our spouse becomes our companion. And therefore, if we are giving our companion to somebody else, we are already in trouble. One of the quickest ways to bring problems into your marriage is to cultivate and give your companionship to someone of the opposite sex. So you know what Jesus would have said to that man if he had the opportunity? As he's regularly having lunch with somebody who's not his wife? Put a stop to it. Jesus would say, cut it off. You deal decisively with anything that opens the door to temptation. See, we all understand surgery is a very, very decisive thing. Let's look at the third. And just before we do, let me take this one step further on the second. In a sermon on this very passage, Pastor Kent Hughes, who is retired from the College Avenue Church in Wheaton, asks us some very, very compelling questions. And I think we as a a body of believers need to hear these questions. Let me read them for you. Are there places where your feet carry you that you have no business being? Perhaps a social establishment that you visit after hours. Are there events which you attend which involve temptations that you cannot handle? Regarding the mind, are there hidden activities or habits which occupy you? Things perhaps which if someone else knew about, you would be most embarrassed. And then Pastor uh, Hughes continues, and he says, Let me paraphrase some questions from a sermon by the late Christian educator, Joe Bailey, entitled, Is Holiness Possible Today? And listen to these questions. What are we reading? Do we have books or magazines which we want no one else to see? What are we renting at the local video stores? How many hours do we spend watching TV? How many murders have we witnessed? How many chapters of the Bible did we read last week? 
Where do our minds go when we have no duties to perform? If our answers leave us guilty, Jesus says we must go to the extremes to rid ourselves of the offending member. And that only we ourselves can do it. If we are believers here today in the glorious, risen Lord Jesus Christ, God has made us alive from the dead. Apart from this, we can never do spiritual surgery. And it's the power within us that will enable us. But there is a part for us to play, and that part is, don't present your members as unrighteousness, as, mem- as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Rather, present them to God. And the way we do that is by spiritual surgery. As Jesus drills down into this, he has one more thing to say. Surgery is painful. Surgery is painful. Did you see what Jesus said three times? Let's read it all three times. It is better, verse 43, for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. Verse 45. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. Verse 47. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. Surgery hurts. It hurts. I had surgery over 20 years ago. It took me two painful weeks to recover. It was just before the Promise Keepers rally in the Silver Dome in Detroit. And the group of guys that I went with wanted to sit in the top seat at the top of the Silver Dome. So the whole week after surgery and two weeks of recovering, I spent the whole weekend climbing those stairs. When I got home, I was set back for another week. (laughs) Oh, was that a painful, painful thing. Surgery's painful. You know what? It's hard to give up wrong things. It's hard. It is very, very hard for us to lose something that we like. But it is always worth it because Jesus is saying the stakes are so high. The stakes are eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Uh, Let me just speak for just a moment to those of us who are dating. I spoke to the married folks a little earlier. Let let me speak to those of us who may be dating or perhaps someday will be dating. Here's a question we have to ask. Is my boyfriend or girlfriend causing me to love Jesus more or to love him less? 
That's a question we have to ask. And if the honest answer is, that boyfriend is causing me to love Jesus less, you know what I have to do? I have to cut off that relationship. You see, if they're not pulling me towards Jesus, they're pulling me away. And I can tell you from my own experience, it hurts to cut that relationship off. On the weekend, I'll be alone. I won't be able to do the fun things that we used to do before. But here's the thing. It is a whole lot better to endure that pain now than marry the wrong person for the rest of your life. And if they're causing you to love Jesus less, not more, you've got to cut that off. By the way, that's true with any friendship. When I went into high school, I was so grateful. God gave me some friends who caused me to love Jesus more. And while I was still friendly with my other friends, I found myself spending far more time with the friends who caused me to love Jesus more, and God used that in a powerful way in my life. It's difficult. It's painful to do spiritual surgery. But we know it's the only way to be healthy. You know the name John Wesley. He was a great preacher, great churchman, The Methodist Wesleyan Revival came out of his ministry. It's a fascinating story to read. His mother is probably one of the most famous mothers who ever lived, Susanna Wesley. And one day, John asked his mother a simple question. He said, what is sin? And Susanna Wesley gave him an answer in a letter that rings down through time to our own day. She knew Jesus' teaching well. Look at Susanna's answer to the man who became the powerful John Wesley when he asked her mom, What is sin? And this is what she said. Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short... Whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind 
that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. And Susanna knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And whatever that thing is that's done with the hand or done with the foot or viewed or desired with the eye, we have to do spiritual surgery on it. Or we will never be healthy Christians. We can sit in this service week after week, month after month, year after year. But if we do not do spiritual surgery on those things in our lives, we will never be healthy. May God help us to do that very thing. Let's bow together in prayer. I have two questions for us today before we gather around the table of the Lord. Number one, Have you been made alive from the dead? Has the saving power of Jesus Christ and the invasion of the Holy Spirit entered your life? If not, what we have been talking about is something you cannot do. Sin is so pervasive. It is so deep-seated. It is so much a part of the very fabric of our lives that unless we have been made alive from the dead, this is a fruitless battle. And if you are not sure that you have been born again, You can be born again right now. You can say something like this in your heart, Lord, I know the battle was sent and I know it's real. And I know that my sins are many and deep. And I thank you that the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, came. He took the punishment that I deserve on the cross. He rose again. And He offers me two wonderful things, full forgiveness and a new life. A new spiritual energy that He will implant within my soul. And so you may say, Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own sinful and wicked way. And I'm turning to you. 
Come into my life and be my Savior. Come into my heart and be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Give me life anew. Make me a child of God. And then you can say now, Lord Jesus, as a follower of yours, God now helping me, I will perform spiritual surgery on my life until you call me home. You may say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. Here's the second question for all of us who know the Lord. What do we need to cut off? What must be torn away? What is increasing the authority and power of my body over my mind, soul, and spirit? That thing to you is sin, no matter how innocent it may seem. And whatever that is, you must fight against it and do battle with it for you to be healthy. There can be no health without this. And so may you covenant before God right this very moment that you will begin to take the steps that are necessary. That temptation may not have that foothold it now has in your life. Lord Jesus, you know all about us. You love us dearly. You offer us a great and wonderful salvation and an eternity in heaven with you. But there is also a cost. A cost to being what it is you want us to be in this world until you come. May we be willing to pay that cost. And all eternity will show the results. For Jesus' sake.